Luke chapter 2, uh, it's on page 857 of the Pew Bibles, we'll be reading verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, uh, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor in, of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. And you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you with great joy and hearts lifted up because we have not been forgotten. Father, you are a good God, and you care for your children. Father, you did not leave us in the darkness of night, but you entered into our darkness, taking on um, our flesh, being incarnate, Father, you know our weaknesses as humans. You know our limitations. You know our experience. You have walked in our shoes and you have seen through our eyes yet without sin. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus who loved the Father with all his heart, soul, and mind and loved his neighbor as himself. This lowly baby, so tender and mild, who sleeps in heavenly peace, grew in wisdom and stature with God and men, taught us of the kingdom, revealed the Father's heart, revealed the way to the kingdom, repent and believe in Christ. And he laid his life down 
that child in the manger, held by his mother, adored by shepherds and angels. Father laid his life down as the good shepherd, fulfilling the promises of God himself that he would not forget us, but he would come and rescue us from where sin has led us. Father, we know uniquely this year the difficulty and the struggles of 2020. Father, and as these years grow, this year draws to a close, we give you thanks. And Father, as a congregation here at Ocean Park, you have been good to us. You have provided emotionally and spiritually, physically and financially. And Father, we give you praise. But Father, we turn our hearts to our brothers and sisters at Neptune Baptist Church, just a few miles down the road, who this day where of rejoicing, of peace, of hope, of joy, they are grieving. For their pastor, Tom Barry, has gone to be with the Lord. But Father, we thank you that though Tom closes his eyes on this side of eternity, when you call his name at the resurrection, Tom's body will rise again, not based on his own goodness, his own merit, because he trusted in Jesus. He repented and believed, and he was united to Jesus. Father, we pray that the hope of the gospel will comfort our brothers and sisters as they grieve profoundly and deeply. Pray for Tom's wife, for his children, his grandchildren, as they grieve the loss. Father, may their tears be not forgotten. For as the psalm says, you hold our tears in, our, in a, your bottle, you know every one. May they find the hope and the comfort of the gospel. The good news of great joy, which is for all people. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We continue this morning in our um, uh, Advent study, Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Ultimately, we are looking at the three offices of Jesus. Jesus is prophet. He declares our problem, but he also declares God's answer, his solution, his way that leads us from the dark night of sin in our groping for something hold, to hold on to. It is the prophet Christ who declares, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Come to me. We also have a priest in Christ who says, goes before the Father and brings peace, makes peace not by the blood of lambs and goats, but by his own perfect righteous life that he laid down. And this morning, we are going to look on the reality of that we have a king, Christ the king who reigns. 
Earlier in Luke chapter 1, I didn't have this as a reading, but if you would turn back a page, I want to read a promise that we alluded to in our children's story of uh, the angel Gabriel when he came to David, or came to, excuse me, Mary. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 1, verses 30 and 30 uh, through 32. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, because, uh, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Kids, remember a couple nights ago in, in our Advent, the first night we gathered for Advent, we said, what does the name of Jesus mean? Does, any, uh, does anybody remember what it means? And or Crosby? No, it means the, um, God saves. We have not been forgotten. That in the brokenness of this world, in the difficulties, in the pain, in the world that's not the way it's supposed to be, a king has come, and he, that king is rescuing us. And notice, his name will be called the Lord Saves, Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, King David. This baby, this Jesus, will be a king. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be no end. This morning, I want you to see this reality, this fact about Jesus. That Jesus is the king whose power ensures God's glory and the salvation of God's people. Because, brothers and sisters, Christ is king, we know God's glory will fill the earth and our salvation will be accomplished because of the greatness and the glory of that king. But uh, let me ask you, what is a king? Uh, we often think of a, a king, what he is, uh, the king of England or the queen of England, if you will, is a figurehead. She really doesn't have any power. It's a symbolic power. The power is in Parliament and the Prime Minister and the people. But a king, in the biblical understanding, is a sovereign ruler who preserves the peace and the prosperity and the welfare of, the, of his people. A king is the ruler who preserves the peace, prosperity, and welfare of his people. The king's power preserves the people and protects the people. The king's wisdom guides them in the kingdom and causes them to flourish for when they walk in his ways. Now, as we begin to understand, we have to understand when we read through um, the kingdom of God in Scripture, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of power and the kingdom of glory. The first kingdom we read through often through the through scriptures. It says, like Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. But there's a problem in this kingdom of power, right? There's rebellion in this kingdom, in this world. There's the prince of darkness, Satan himself, that leads the people astray. And we have as rebellious people who have followed this king have rebelled against the king of all creation and 
But what's happening is we've often said God is sovereign. He's a sovereign king, and he's working to move and guide all things in all of creation, this kingdom of power, for the benefit of his church. He's moving and guiding, preserving and protecting all things to benefit his church, or you could say in theological circles, the kingdom of glory, God's church. The kingdom of glory where Christ rules as the head or as the king over his kingdom. And Ephesians 1.22, God has the Father has put all things under his feet, Christ's feet, and given him as head over all things to the church. The kingdom of grace is not a, a kingdom that has a flag. It doesn't have a zip code. It doesn't have boundaries. It's a spiritual kingdom. When Jesus stood before Pilate, what did he say? My kingdom is what? Not of this world. And if it was so, my people would fight for me. But it's a spiritual kingdom that reigns and rules in the heart and lives of his people. Jesus, this eternal king who reigns over all creation is moving and working for the benefit of his people, his church. For a kingdom not formed by an act of creation, but by an act of grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a, re a rebel, a one who had committed cosmic treason. A kingdom established not by force or armies or hosts of heaven, but by the word of God and the spirit of God breaking the boundaries of cold hearts and breaking up the fallow grounds and bringing forth life and fruit and joy. It's a kingdom that will not be of the future exclusively, but it is a kingdom that is in our midst. The kingdom that has existed since the fall in the hearts of all who acknowledge and worship and love and obey the one true God who is Jesus Christ. It's a kingdom where Christ reigns not only today, not only tomorrow, but eternally as our children's story told us. And it's a king that we celebrate this advent the king who has come god's chosen messiah who has come to redeem his people but it's also a king who is coming again notice the when gabriel made this announcement to mary in 32 and 33 he will be great this king this jesus this one who is called the lord saves he will be great, and he will be son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be no end. During this Advent season, we celebrate our king who has come, our king who reigns, and our king who is coming again. But I want to ask, what type of king is Jesus? We know he is a king. He knows he's reigning. But what type of king is he? I'm glad you asked because we have three aspects. Wouldn't be a good 
uh, Baptist pastor if I didn't have three points here. He's a redeeming king. He's, um, that's a really, that's a bad typo right there. He's a sanctifying king. That's really bad. Uh, and, and he's a preserving king. He's a redeeming king. He's a sanctifying king. And he's a preserving king. Let's take a look at the first aspect. He's a redeeming king. In the kingdom of God, there are no natural-born citizens of God's kingdom. There are only naturalized citizens. Or, if you will, there are only citizens that have been conquered by the grace of God. Men and women of rival kingdoms, born into the kingdom of darkness in rebellion against the one true king, who are brought into Christ's kingdom by his grace. But how did the story go? I often ask people, tell me your story. How did you come to Christ? How did you come to know Christ? Tell me that story. And I love to hear it, maybe over lunch or over coffee, how Christ the King came to rule and reign in the heart of people. But we have the question, and the Baptist Catechism uh, many, many years ago answered this question. How does Christ execute the office of king? And here's the answer. God executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. It starts with having a king who redeems us. Redeems us not just external enemies but internal enemies notice the external enemies Jesus would not be a king if he had no people he would be nothing more than an empty title or a powerless king living in exile but as we read the story of scripture we see a story of a king who, a king who is not in exile, but a king whose people are living in exile. Separated from their king by their wayward, foolish, rebellious hearts. But what makes this story so wonderful is that the king is not a king who says, let them have what they want. But it's a king who says they are chasing after what they want, what will destroy them, but I love them too much, and I will go and I will rescue my people. I will bring them back from the, from the edges of the furthest far parts of the kingdom where they lay in danger, in, in, um, in fear, and in rebellion, and I will bring them to myself. Because I am a loving king and I love my people. I love in the, the book of um, in the book of uh, Ezekiel, chapter thirty-four. There we go. For thus says the Lord: Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep who that have been scattered so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I myself, Almighty God, Triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. We have this beautiful promise in the book of Ezekiel that Christ the King did not sit idly by as his people were enslaved and abused and exploited by the sin of this world, by the enemies that that conquered them. He sought them out to save his lost sheep, a people enslaved by sin, by laying his life down. And in the fulfillment of the prophet Ezekiel, Jesus Christ has come and said, I am the good shepherd. I am the one that promised that I would come for my sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Brothers and sisters, the good shepherd has been born. He has come to us to redeem us. He came as a prophet to shine the light of God's truth and righteousness in a kingdom of sin and darkness where his sheep were lost, hopeless and helpless. He came as a priest to offer his life as a substitute in place of his people to pay sin's wages once for all. And he comes as a conquering king to redeem his people, to free them from their bondage by defeating their enemies. Our king has come and he has defeated the strongholds of the kingdom of darkness to win us to ourselves, to himself, that we may lie in his pastures. But the twist in the story is this. Though Satan has been defeated, Our greatest enemy, sin and death, has been defeated. Uh, Our external enemies had to be defeated, but the internal enemies have to be defeated. It's not as simply as easy as defeating the exterior enemies, but the internal forces of sin. Going back to the Baptist Catechism, it answers this, and I don't know if you notice this. It says, Christ executes the office of the king in what? Subduing us to himself. Our rebellion and our sin and our pride and, and our desire for the world that lives in rebellion against God had to be defeated. Christ not only had to defeat the uh, powers of sin and darkness, he had to defeat ourselves, our rebellion. We must be defeated. We must lay down our sin in rebellion. Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about this. The mind that is set on the flesh, citizens of of the kingdom of this world, are hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is describing the state of mind, the spiritual nature that all of us are born into. A state of rebellion against the one true God, who is Christ, who are without hope and helpless in the world, uh, under the wrath of God, doing and being, following the kingdom of the darkness of this world. And you know what? We prefer it that way. The default impulse of the heart is no one tells me what to do. 
we don't like that. I know in um, every child I have ever met, they don't like to be told no. We don't grow out of that either. We want it our way. There's a reason Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way, was so vastly popular and has continued through the ages because we don't like to be told what to do. Some of you will say, don't tell me what to do. Some of you don't say anything, but inside you're like, you're not going to tell me what to do. And then you might be sweet and nice on the outside, but inside you're like, oh no. Ooh, uh-uh. I ain't doing that. We, no matter how civilized and how cultured and how domesticated we become, we want it our way. No matter how much therapy and education we endure, we want to be the masters of our soul and we want to be the captains of our fate. We don't, as Sinatra says, want to bow the knee. It's not our nature. But Jesus, the king, comes into the world and says this, Repent. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. I am the king, the long-awaited king who was and is and is to come. Repent and believe. And when Jesus speaks of repent and believe, it's not just say, I've done bad things. I've said the little white lies. I've done maybe some other big ones. Um, Yeah, those are bad, and I trust in Jesus, blah, 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 blah. When Jesus says repent, it is to renounce your citizenship in the kingdoms of this world where you reign supreme. To renounce that completely, your former way of life, your former independence, and say, I bow and trust in Christ the King, who he is and what he has done. I am no longer my own, but I belong to Jesus And because he has saved me from my greatest enemy and from myself, there is nothing that Jesus cannot ask me to do. That's what it means to repent and believe. I'm no longer in charge of the throne of my heart. It is Jesus. And I take my orders from my good and gracious, benevolent king who is not working against me, but who is working for me and who knows me better than myself. He is a good king, a loving king, and he knows better than we do. If Christ is king, I can't be king. And if I am king of my life, Christ is not. Jesus didn't come to broker a peace deal between independent nations that would live in harmony, one of us. He proclaims the arrival of his kingdom and his word only, only, only offers terms of unconditional surrender. Surrender that brings us true, genuine freedom. His spirit lays siege on our hearts and minds and lobs in arrows of God's grace that bring us to our knees and lead us in his kindness and his goodness and his patience, lead us to faith and repentance of our sin, of our self-love, of our independence, of our self-reliance. Ocean Park, if the words of Gabriel are true, 
that Jesus is the king who sits on the eternal throne of David, reigning over this kingdom of grace, there is great joy and great freedom in surrender. As Americans, we are ingrained in ourselves. We told the king, you don't tell us what to do. If you do, we'll throw your tea in, your har in the harbor and declare independence. We're told, do it on our own. But the gospel runs against the Western thinking, the American way that says, bow your knee to the good king, not the rotten kings of England uh, or all the kingdoms of this world, whether it be monarchies or powers or warlords, but we bow our knee to the gracious, compassionate, abounding and steadfast love King Jesus. And when we do, when his grace has triumphed in our life, he delivers us from the domain of darkness. And our citizenship is transferred from the kingdom of darkness where we are lost. And he brings us into the kingdom of his beloved son where we have peace with God. Amen. If Christ is our king, brothers and sisters, there is confidence that in the hearts of his people, uh, Christ reigns, and he will reign one day on earth as it is in heaven. That is the hope that sustains us. That is not a whimsical folly, but that is a rock-solid promise that we build our lives on. And there is peace. Peace that our king has conquered our greatest enemies, our greatest enemies without or outside of us, and our greatest enemies inside of us and redeemed us and brought us peace with God. Therefore, if we truly have peace with God, there is no threat of the devil who whispers that you're not good enough, that you're going to get kicked out if they really find out what's in your closet, that our king is good. And no threat of the devil can stick because the Father knows it all, the Christ, di Christ died for us all, and the Spirit has been deposited into the heart of the people. This is why we sing uh, the song, In Christ Alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus, as my King, commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Nobody can revoke your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Not even your own fears and doubts that you have. The lies that Satan puts in our mind that we perpetuate, they cannot separate us from. Till he returns as a conquering king, or calls you home, here in the power of Christ the King I stand. Ocean Park, if you have repented of your sin and turned to Christ in faith, that you have truly believed that Christ has paid the penalty for my sin, and he, his life guarantees my eternal life, you can rest in the fact that you have been redeemed from your enemies outside and in. Because Jesus is the king who power ensures God's glory in our lives, in our hearts, 
in our families, in our worlds, and the promises of God's salvation for his people. Because he's a redeeming king. Don't worry, that's the longest point. And he's a sanctifying king. I, I got that spelling correct. Glory, amen. Uh, there's often, um, when we're talking about somebody's trust or faith, the question becomes, is this person saved? And often the question is answered by referring to a decision that was made years ago that had very little impact, if any, whatsoever on a person's life. He's saved or she's saved because they said this or did this. I think the better question is this. Does this person belong to Jesus? For if they do belong to Jesus, if they are part of his kingdom, they are citizens of the kingdom of heaven secured by Christ the King. And he is preserving them and he is sanctifying them. He's protecting them from harm and he's making them like Jesus. Those of, who belong to Christ's kingdom have been redeemed by Christ and under his authority. They are not to free to live life as they see fit, but they live according to his way and for his glory. Notice this uh, promise or this in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Your citizen in your own kingdom has been denied, has been revoked, and you are now bought with a price of your priest who has laid down his life. So glorify God in your, in your body. A person who has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light has a new citizenship, a new king, a new purpose. Honor and glorify and enjoy living and knowing their king. To enjoy the word of God. Citizens of Christ's kingdom have a new standard of living, a new way of walking, which set forth in God's word. We're not free to live as we choose or how we feel at the moment. We obey the ways of our king and we honor our king. And then we have the spirit working in, his, in our lives. The citizens of Christ's kingdom have God's spirit living with them, bringing them into alignment with the kingdom. And at times that alignment is difficult and it's painful as our king chisels us with his word, as he forms and shapes us like a potter's vessel shapes the clay on the wheel. And sometimes it is with gentle cuts and movements, and it's sometimes it is with a pounding to soften the clay. This happens day by day, year by year, decade by decade. Christ the King is reigning and ruling in the hearts of his people, revealing and removing sin. The day you came to Christ, you had no idea of the depth of how sin has touched every aspect of our being, even the best aspects of our lives. But I know the longer that you have walked with Jesus, 
the more that the light of God's word has shined in the deepest, darkest recesses of our heart, revealing our sin. And his spirit comes in and washes us and renews us and cleanses us and makes us like Jesus and breaks down the strongholds of sin in our lives. And it's not only this, um, this cleansing and the purifying but it's a building and a strengthening of being Christ-like. The Spirit of God is showing you your need for Jesus each day and month and year and showing you the power of the Spirit to make you like Jesus. The promise in this, this sanctifying, is this. Um, Spencer, will you turn the fan on, just the fan on? It's really stuffy in here. I want to keep all of you awake. So I have to um, use the fan as well. Uh, no, not that one, the big one up, the, the AC fan. Thank you. Um, I thank my God, Paul says, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is not our responsibility, though we are called to obedience, we are not left on our loan to our, on ourselves to become like Jesus, but the Spirit of God is working in our life to produce Christ-likeness, using God's Word to form and shape and transform us that we would be like Jesus. This new identity that Jesus and His Spirit is making us to look like Him. And each Sunday, we gather together as the kingdom of the spirits. We gather together to receive the means of God's grace. This fountain of grace that we receive. In theological circles, it's called the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace where God forms us and fashions us and moves us when we gather together in, with brothers and sisters where his word is proclaimed, the ordinances are shared, and the message of the gospel is given. God is working to break the strongholds of lethargy, apathy, and disinterest that we would be more like Jesus. And when we gather together, brothers and sisters, on a weekly basis, we need to remember that we belong to our King. We remember who He is and what He has done. Because for six days a week, the world bombards us with messages of who, be who you are, follow your heart, all of this. We need the constant reminder on the Lord's Day of whom we belong to our King, who He is and what He has done. When we're weary, we need our brothers and sisters' joy in making much of who He is. When we come together broken and discouraged and hardened by sin, it's the Word of God that is sung and read and proclaimed by our brothers and sisters that encourages us and makes us more like Jesus. We're reminded of the ways of our King and we repent on a weekly, daily, hourly basis, how we have gone astray and the means of grace in worship with God's people gathered together as a foretaste of the glory of heaven. We are reminded of the ways of our King 
to pursue justice and mercy and truth. And we are given the call of our king to go make disciples uh, six days a week. And we bring, come together to make much of who he is. We are not called to be spiritual hermits cut off from life's giving community. The reason we're here is because we know we need one another and we need to hear the word of God. We need to use the gifts that God has given us to form and fashion and build up and encourage one another, our brothers and sisters, to be able to fulfill the commandments of Scripture. We cannot do that on our own. We cannot do that as lone rangers. If there's anything in 2020 that I have been reminded of is the necessity of the gathered church. The gathered church where God's people come together to worship, pray, hear God's word, and receive the Lord's Supper. To neglect such thing is to cut ourselves off from the fountain of God's ordinary means of grace that makes us and sanctifies us and purifies us in the image of Jesus. We so desperately need it. Even in this world of pandemics, where we come, there is risk when we come together. We take these means with face masks and hand sanitizers and, and open doors and all of these things in limited time, but we do it because we need the ordinary means of grace of one another to come together to do that. There are those of you at home today, and you're at home, many of you, for good, valid reasons, because this virus, you are vulnerable at home, or at, uh, out in public. I plead with you, don't get comfortable. This is, the virtual church is not the way that God has created our world to be. We are called to gather together. I look forward to that day as by God's grace, this vaccine is beginning to go out. I look forward to that day when we can come together whole. I got a text from a, a, a sister in Christ who is so faithful every week, uh, but right now is at home. And she said, don't forget me. We don't forget you at all. We are not whole as the family of God without you this morning. And we long for the day that the gifts that God has given you, the encouragement uh, that you bring together. But there are others at home that this is just another reason not to be here. Don't allow that to be you. You need God's sanctifying grace in his ordinary means of grace where we can become like Jesus. We have a redeeming king, a sanctifying king, and a purifying king. And I'm sorry, a, a preserving king. Philippians 4.19 says this, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Christ our King will give us what we need, when we need it, in the amount that we need. We have a King who is not a tyrant, who is not a uh, barbarian who lives to beat us. But we have a gentle and good king who loves us and cares for us. We are never in need because Christ is our king. Calvin put it this way. We may patiently pass through this life with its misery, cold, contempt, reproaches, and other troubles that we know well. 
content with this one thing, that our king will never leave us destitute, but will provide for our needs until our welfare, our warfare ends and we are called to triumph. There is never a point in our lives, brothers and sisters, that we are forsaken, forgotten, or left to ourselves. Our king watches over us and gives us what we need. We can have courage in the face of fear, comfort when our souls are downtrodden. We have strength when we're weak. We have joy when we're heartbroken. We have wisdom when we're confounded. We have peace when this world shakes us to the core. Christ is a king who will never abandon his people, but provides everything we need to do his will, to walk in his ways, and to enjoy him as king. Go to our king that we and you may receive grace. Knowing this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us draw near with confidence. Draw near to what? The throne of grace, our king's throne, because of our priest who has by his blood brought us peace with God and by our prophet Christ who has declared us the way to God. And what will happen when we confidently follow Christ? We will receive mercy we do not get what we deserve, and we will find grace. We get abundantly what we don't deserve and help in the time of need. Every one of us needs God's mercy and grace to help us in our times of needs. Ocean Park, Christ is a king who delights in giving what his people need. Most of all, himself. It is our Father's great joy to give us the kingdom, to give us Christ. Go to Christ the King, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and Jesus says, I will give you rest. Go to him, all you who are physically, mentally, and anguish and tired, and Christ in his tender and compassionate arms will hold you, all you who are lonely. 2020 has been a, an excruciating year. One of the biggest things that our country has, um, struggles with is loneliness. We have a king. We have a kingdom. We have a family. Um, brothers and sisters who are all uh, receiving the grace of God, go to the king. Those of you this morning who don't know the king, you know of him, you might have had grown up in church, you might have uh, uh, had a, a, an experience, a decision, you walked the aisle, you did that thing, but it's been years and decades maybe. And you know that you are not right with the king. Jesus says, repent. And that simply means to say, my will not be done. And believe, trust in the promises of the gospel that says you have a king who loves you, who laid down his life for you, and who's working for your benefit and good. Repent of your sin, of your living on your own, and turn to him. To the nominal believer who 
is going through the motions maybe for many years, many decades. And you can say all the right things, and you know all the songs, you know when to sit, you want to sing down, sit down, you know all about Lottie Moon, you know all the Baptisty words or whatever, but you don't know the heart of the king. Because it's nothing more than a routine, a habit. You are sleepwalking through life. You are not safe. There are many who live on the outskirts of the kingdom. Like the crowds in the, in the uh, scriptures that they were close near Jesus, watching from a distance, but they weren't close to Jesus. They weren't following Jesus. They weren't seeking Jesus to know him. You nominal believers, awake from your slumber. Repent of your lack of joy, your lack of zeal, your lack of trust, trusting in your own morality and your own abilities, your own knowledge, your own um, tradition, and trust Jesus. And for the true believers who say, listen, I know that I cannot do this on my own. I know that Jesus is my only hope in life and death. The same promise is made to you as to the uh, non-believer. Repent and believe today and every day because Satan seeks to lure us from the kingdom. Like Pilgrim's Progress, the uh, deceivers would try to uh, lure us from the path. Repent and believe. Trust in your king and draw near Every day when you wake up and you try to do it on your own, by your own strength, by your own morality, be honest with yourself, you can't do it. Repent on a daily basis and believe the gospel that says it's not what you do or what you have done, but what Christ has done to redeem you from our sin and to love the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind. And he gives you his righteousness today, tomorrow, and for all eternity shall we pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are a good king and you care for your people. Father, it is overwhelming in these times and that we live in where we can be um, downtrodden, where we can become um, overwhelmed with loneliness, with fear, with isolation. Our friends, our family have betrayed us. But Father, you are a good king. And you lovingly care for us and provide for us. And like a shepherd, lead us. Father, we thank you. And we praise you. In Christ the king's precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said.